This is Beyond the Farm Gate, a show where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture. On the show, you'll hear from farmers who've survived challenges like fire, flood and drought, farmers who run innovative and unique agribusinesses, and farmers who are balancing work and family in rural Australia. You'll be inspired hearing their stories and pick up some insights along the way. I'm your host, Annie Herbert. Alongside me, Matt Hour. Today we're chatting with Millie Nolan. Millie is a proud shearer's daughter and the event coordinator at the Livestock Collective. The Livestock Collective aims to promote a collaborative, united livestock sector through visibility, communication and community engagement. In this episode, you'll hear about the importance of transparency and advocacy to the livestock industry, how the live export conversation is changing, and how agriculture holds so many diverse and exciting career opportunities for the next generation. Let's jump in. Well, firstly, thank you very much for joining us on Beyond the Farm Gate, Millie. Oh, thank you very much. I'm stoked to be here. Absolutely stoked. Thought we'd start with you telling us about your agriculture connection and how it all began. Yeah, so I'm a, a daughter of a farmer and shearer on a small property on the border of Victoria and South Australia. So a little place called Apsley. Um, probably don't know Apsley. I think it's just got a pub and a post office now, but uh, Narracourt is across the border into South Australia and people seem to yeah, pick up on, on that one a little bit more than poor old Apsley. Yeah, connection to agriculture, yeah, is pretty pretty strong there. Uh, but I didn't know growing up that it was going to be, yeah, my, my life like it is now. I think I've probably had some dreams and thoughts here and there that weren't necessarily associated with agriculture. But, you know, good old roots, it's, it's brought me back. <laughs> now tell us a little bit about the family farm. What were you up to on that? Just a sheep property. They run composites now, which I'm not a huge fan of. I'm more of a wool girl myself. So I think they've had a very dry start to the year this year. I'm over in Western Australia now and it's a bit different over here. We've had a very good start to the season. So yeah, it's. I think my siblings are all still around that area and all involved in agriculture. So it is nice to, to go back every now and then. So Millie, growing up, on the family farm what did school holidays look like for you or after school was it you know helping out on the farm yeah it was I'm the youngest of four uh, and my older sister's 10 years ahead of me so yeah there was quite a spread in all of that and I think being the youngest I probably got taken into a, a few situations that probably weren't safe looking back <laughs> on the farm on horses and motorbikes and everything like that but yeah a, a very a great upbringing which I'm privileged to have I think yeah my first five years of my life I was spent in a shearing shed with my dad and that's maybe why I love wool I used to go around to all the sheds with him and yeah was was stoked to do so so very very great upbringing very lucky. So from that upbringing finishing school what was the next step for you and how did you start that journey after then into agriculture? I'm a very independent person and so when I finished school I went right oh how am I how am I going to get to uni and I didn't even know what I wanted to study but I, I knew I was going to go uh, so I took 18 months off and just really worked in various wool sheds winery cellars and grain depots and that was in you know Australia and overseas as well and and traveled a lot just figuring out what I wanted to do and eventually I came home from work one day after chatting to a, a truckie and I called my dad and I said, Joey, I, I think I'm going to move to WA. And he said, okay, darling. And I'd never been to <laughs> WA before. <laughs> and he, he's, 
he's probably about as casual as me. And uh, yeah, I just, I drove across in Alibor a few weeks later and started studying egg science over here. And yeah, just, just really flourished and, and loved it. I spent a lot of time in like working with research and live export facilities during university. So doing some work on some grain field trials, red meat eating quality, and then straight after uni in the wool industry as well. But yeah, worked on the live export uh, feedlot, which thoroughly enjoyed. It was a bit of a, a livestock fix for me um, because I'm not much of a city girl. I get a little bit claustrophobic up in the city. So yeah, eventually I found my way into Queensland. Uh, are you guys keeping up with all these locations? <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. Big journey. It's Yeah, it's, it's everywhere. But I think that's a, a strength of mine as well because when you go to a new place, you can see how things have been done in northern pastorals and southern high rainfall and over in the west as well. And, yeah, you can really connect with the people and figure out what that area needs. And that's what a big part of my role was when I was in western Queensland was helping the uh, cattle producers moving to sheep, especially after the exclusion fences were being built, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And so, you know, being able to identify like, right, they need some they need some wool handling training to to get more workers up here or yeah, really enjoyed that part of my time in Queensland. But I did land myself back in WA and I'm doing a job with the Livestock Collective, which I thoroughly enjoy. I gain a lot of energy from and I think my skill set uh, is really suited for. So if you guys have just tracked me around Australia, I've lived in <laughs> SA, Victoria, uh, WA and, and Queensland and I'm hopeless. I still love one day to do a stint in the Northern Territory. I love the people over there and I love sheep and wool, so New South Wales as well. But, God, I, I, yeah, that's just I think who I am. I'm quite casual about and that's definitely from my dad yeah, calling up and said, going to move, going to drive across to Nullarbor. And he said, okay, off you go. <laughs> it's very, it's a very casual affair, but I, I count myself very lucky that, yeah, I have that autonomy and independence and I guess the guts to, to do all of that and not even think it's that big of a deal. <laughs> you touched on it earlier, Millie, around, you know, the different places you've been and connecting with people. Would you say that within agriculture, it is quite easy to pick up and move somewhere else and form a new tribe? Yeah, it is. I've certainly found it is. And I I, I love now that I can go to a, a new place and know a lot of people. There's, I don't think I've ever run a workshop that I haven't had someone come in and you go, are you, are you a Nolan from Apsley or are you, you were up in Queensland, weren't you, or something like that. Like it's, it is a small industry and so that network is, is very important and you can certainly pack up shop and, and move wherever and, and make it work because I think if you have a good give-it-a-go attitude, people re- really resonate with that and, yeah, that's when you can be quite confident in your abilities to move around Australia in agriculture, even though I think it is a bit of a, a disjointed supply chain at times. I think when we're actually together, it forms a really powerful thing. Absolutely. And you mentioned that you're now at the Livestock Collective and some really exciting things going on there. What is it that the Livestock Collective does? Tell us a little bit about your mission, your vision. So our vision is for everyone to have a shared understanding of and connection to agriculture. Holly Ludeman is the founder and managing director and she's an absolute powerhouse. So she founded the Livestock Collective in 2018 when Western Australia was going through the sheep uh, live export crises. And yeah, I think her vision, she just went, I wouldn't work in an industry like this. Why isn't the good stuff being shared? And so she just 
said, bugger it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to share this story and gained so much traction that it would, this non-for-profit organisation that's flourishing in connecting with the public and sharing those authentic stories. And I think authenticity is a huge part of it. We don't have that, you know, that truck driver or that shearer sharing the stories for themselves, then it, it's not authentic. And so, yeah, I, th- I think in my role specifically, I'm trying to build the capacity of those sort of employees to share their story, which is fantastic. But on the other side of it, obviously, the communications and media is a huge part of, of what we do. And we don't like to think of it as educating the public as such. Like we want to connect with them. Like what are they concerned about? Because that drives change as well. And Millie, do you think this is a fairly new field, I suppose, for agriculture in that it needs to have a voice for itself, just given that so many communication channels that are offered to people these days? Yes. Yeah, I think it is. Like, you know, everyone's got a phone. Everyone breaks the rules. I don't think we can no longer be like, right, oh, no one take photos of, of this or don't come into the feedlot with your phone because someone will. So why aren't we teaching everyone to know how to use content and use it in a way that we understand how it's going to be perceived by the public to share our story and actually connect with them? Because, yeah, I don't think in this day and age, there's so many communication channels that would be silly not to. And what's your experience in sharing those stories or speaking the truth, I guess, about the livestock industry? Are you surprised by people's reactions or lack of understanding of it? No, I'm not. I was probably a little bit naive. I think I remember in my interview or chatting to Holly before I got the job, I said, yeah, everyone knows at least someone in agriculture. But I think that was just me knowing so many people in agriculture that you forget that actually people from the city don't know anyone in agriculture. So I think there's something ridiculous. It's like 70% of the population know either zero, one or two people in agriculture. It's just hardly anything, you know. So if they meet me or you and they form their opinion on agriculture and rural industries based on that conversation and what they see in the media, how are we going to like make them at least have a neutral stance on our industry? Because you know whether we like it or not, I don't like to use the word social licence. I know many people that are in the same boat, but they do have a say in if and how we operate. And I think if we accept that, build our capacity to develop these connections with them, because I think there's these huge themes going on in the world at the moment. And in agriculture, particularly, it's where does your food come from? And I think it's only going to grow. And that's a huge opportunity for us to actually, you know, connect with that part, the middle part of the population that don't really know anyone in agriculture and are open to knowing more. Like I see that as a huge opportunity. But there's also like in running these workshops, because it is a new theme. And, you know, I can, I don't put age caps or anything. Like I love the workshops to be diverse as possible, you know, have a, a shearer in with a stock agent and with everything else, because I think connecting that supply chain is really important. And I've certainly had people, I think, walk into the workshop and go, God, I don't know what I'm getting myself in for here, <laughs> because it is a new theme. It is a little bit hard to wrap your head around. But I think once we debunk all those basic communications, shared values, communications and everything like that. Yeah, we certainly um, win people over and it's pretty empowering to have someone come up to you at the end of the workshop and say, thank you. If I met a vegan two weeks ago, I would have told them where to go. But now I'd actually like to find out what their concerns are and yeah, try and have that conversation. So I get very proud of that, I guess, at the end of a workshop. Millie, before we get into what exactly a workshop entails, I understand that when you started with the Livestock Collective, you were in a little bit of a different role to what you are now. What's been your journey within the company and what is your role now? 
Yeah, so they actually had a communications coordinator role and one of the directors called me while I was in Queensland and they said, and I, I do love WA, so I probably always was going to head back to WA, but he said it's a communications role, it's a work from home, it's quite a lot of social media and stuff and I've gone, oh, God, that doesn't sound like me, but the Livestock <laughs> Collective uh, yeah, the livestock collective are so cool. Um, like I'd been little fangirl listening to Holly's interviews and everything starting up in 2018 I was like right oh god I need to get in on this this is just this is awesome and I think after they had uh interview with me or chatted to me a few times they went right oh she's got no idea about social media but she could probably be a BAL events coordinator and so yeah when I first started I think I had three weeks to organize a first workshop in Adelaide the borders were shut and it was all going to be online. And after speaking to a few people, I went, you know what? Like a lot of our very talented presenters are over east. I said, well, they could all meet up and I'll just, I'll facilitate through a computer. That'd be fine. And got all the tech and IT and everything set up. And I don't think I knew what I was doing whatsoever, but <laughs> it worked. And yes, yeah, so I had to begin, I guess, a little bit differently with facilitating virtually and everything like that. But I, yeah, I think I have enough energy <laughs> that I, I do get a lot of feedback that I'm very enthusiastic and I know I'm a pretty enthusiastic and optimistic person. And so that does come through on the big screen. So fortunately, I was able to make it all work. But yeah, since then, just been trooping around Australia and yeah, running workshops. So thank goodness they didn't put me in comms. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good point though that, you know, you started off doing an ag science degree, you then moved into a comms role and now you're in an events role. There are so many opportunities within ag other than just being, or I shouldn't say just being a farmer, but other than being a farmer. And it's it's really exciting. Oh, I think it's brilliant. Like I love that I'm not applying my degree all the time because, you know, I've, you know, you found a niche where I think my skill set suited for and that's awesome like to gain energy from what you do every day is fantastic but then there's also like I've got best mates that are livestock managers and they you know that's what they gain energy from and if they did what I do they'd be exhausted there's such a diverse range of opportunities in agriculture that was certainly not portrayed to me during high school which is super disappointing looking back like I had you know a lot of dreams and a lot of different offers in health science and vet science and everything like that but I I'm very much a person that trusts my gut I didn't feel good about you know, any of those options. But during school, you know, as someone who got decent enough grades, it wasn't advocated for, it wasn't advocated for as a career. And I'd like to think now I've got lots of people that go around and talk to schools and talk about how great a career in agriculture is. And I think that's really important because it is a great career and it can be super diverse. Like, God, mine's been very diverse on research and you know, different sort of trials and live export facilities and livestock and then, you know, helping the producers to what I am now. And it's a brilliant industry to be in. And yeah, I feel very fortunate to have, first of all, been a farmer Shearer's daughter. Uh, but I don't think that was the be all and end all. I have many friends that are very capable people that have, yeah, grown up two kilometres from the CBD. And Millie, moving on to one of your workshops, can you talk us through how they run and what you sort of set out to achieve? Yeah, we have a few goals. I facilitate the workshops and depending on who we're partnering with, we try and get some people in the room that, well, I like to have some varied experience, you know, some people that have had a lot of media experience and people that have had not so much media experience, all of that, and get quite a good spread. I love connecting all along the supply chain. So having someone, a truck driver in market live export, 
pharma, someone that's in genetics or breeding, you know, anyone can advocate for agriculture. And I, I find it really empowering to have a whole supply chain sort of in a room together and connect because agriculture doesn't always do that. So depending on who my partner is that we're running the workshop for, I um, try and get the right people in the room. And then we spend two or three days together and we learn about everyday conversations, so shared values, communication. So a little bit about how to sprinkle the science like salt into your conversations. So sometimes when we in agriculture are talking about connecting with the public or educating the public, as we always like to say, we say we just need to give them the facts. You know, we need to tell them all these statistics about, you know, carbon emissions and water reductions and everything like that, or, you know, mortality rates. But that actually doesn't resonate with the with the public. That, that doesn't connect with them. So Shared values is about saying, oh, what are you concerned about? Oh, you're concerned about animal welfare. So am I. Um, It's at the forefront of what I do. Otherwise, I don't have a viable business. And I think that's a really powerful message. And it's proven that it's something like three to five times more effective in building trust than just facts alone. And so that sets the scene for the rest of the workshop. And then, yeah, depending on who we're working with, we have some brilliant presenters um, in the media engagements and content creation, public speaking and social media. And it's quite a well-rounded workshop, um, very transferable skills that we teach. And then obviously the networking nights are probably my favourite nights. (laughs) (laughs) It's always fun to, you know, debunk at the end and have everyone together. And especially after COVID, I found everyone's just been so excited because, yeah, we've delivered these workshops in a million different formats. I don't think I've ran two that have looked the same because that's another reason why it suits me. I'm a very adaptable, flexible person and roll with the punches type thing. I remember I ran one in Northern Territory and one of the presenters called and she goes, Millie, I'm sick. I feel okay, but I don't think I should get on the plane during given, you know, the circumstances with COVID and everything like that. Like, you know what, that's fine. And I didn't worry me whatsoever because I've got so much confidence in the presenters that I that I have that, you know, I know it will make it work. And we did. I think that workshop got 100% satisfaction from 18 Northern Territory uh, young men and women. So very lucky to have such a talented suite of presenters. I, as a facilitator, I learn something different every workshop. <laughs> something different resonates with me, even though I've heard them, you know, all present many, many times. So it is a lot of fun. Uh, we do get really great feedback from the workshops. I gain a lot of energy from being up the front of the room. I don't know, maybe I'm, I don't know, I, I just <laughs> thoroughly enjoy it. Um, and so I think that's why I've, yeah, found my my niche in that sense. And Millie, with all this work that you're doing, do you feel like the conversation around live export is changing? Yes, I do. Uh, live. I think there's still work to do, obviously, but I think there's people out there having these visible conversations that have these skills that we're teaching in the workshops that are resonated with the public and building trust. And we actually have some software that measures in the media and social media, like you can put in a term such as live export. And three years ago, there was quite a lot of negative, um, there's a bit of neutral, and there wasn't much positive in this little pie chart that it spits out in this software. But now, you know, the neutral's grown, the positive's grown and the negative has shrunk. And I think that is fantastic, but it's not the end. We need to keep on sharing these stories. And it's also about, you know, we work with a live commodity, so there's always going to be something that happens. Something will go wrong, like in every industry, there's people that do the wrong things, but 
if the majority of us are working really hard to do the right thing and then we are also sharing that good news story, I'm yeah, confident that we're on the right track. And speaking of sharing stories, I understand that we're speaking with a fellow podcaster. Are you able to tell us about your podcast? <laughs> it's probably not near as professional as this one. Um, but I, yeah, I really wanted to give our livestock leaders another opportunity. That's what the workshops are called, livestock leaders. I probably should mention that. And they call them the Livestock Leaders alumni. And I just want to give them opportunity to, to speak their story if they if they want to. And so it's called the Livestock Leaders podcast. And yeah, we talk about many different things. But yeah, like we've had someone that works in live export or a few that work in live export, a couple up on a station, some that work in like ag technology. So and they all have some pretty cool stories. And I, I do enjoy being a host on that one because I just get to know them that little bit more, even though I've already spent a workshop with them. So that's what the Livestock Leaders Program sort of sets itself apart from other workshops. It's not a two-day workshop and a see you later. It's very much welcome to our network. We still have active platforms, discussion platforms that are literally posting every day. And I've got, I think, 140 or 130 something alumni now. I could literally name every one of them and all of them are in groups together that still talk to this day. And they say, hey, I've got this question. How do I answer it? And it's so powerful. Like that's a a farmer who's been sharing their story and say, oh, you know, these animals are destined for live export. And they've said, oh, uh, someone's asked a question and they, well, I don't know, but, you know, I've got old mate on my little group chat I've already connected with that I'll be able to get the answer from. And I think that's really powerful as well, that connecting all along the supply chain and, yeah, using those networks to support each other um, and give further opportunities. So that's what the podcast originally, yeah, started as. And it's just a fun way to chat with the people that I now just see as good mates. <laughs> so you'll be able to give us all the hot tips on the guests that we should have on Beyond the Farm Gate. Yes, you can have my list of alumni. They all have brilliant stories to share. <laughs> so Millie, I wanted to ask, the livestock industry can be quite male dominated in parts. And I'm interested in your experience as someone who's is obviously younger and, and has really just come into the industry, I suppose, like obviously growing up. But were you ever discouraged by it or ever, was it ever off-putting or has it been the opposite? No, as I said, I'm a pretty independent person and my family's very laid back. So I think they, they always knew that when I left that I, I wouldn't come back, whatever I do, that like, none of my family or anything ever encouraged it or discouraged it in that sense. And actually, since entering the industry, I've only ever had one poor experience with a middle-aged male. And it was interesting because it was actually another male that had my back in that situation. To be honest, I was pretty dumbfounded with what he said. And I just, I stood there probably like a stunned mullet and went, oh my God, what the hell do I do here? And a young bloke said, oh, hang on, nah, like this, no, don't, don't say that to Mills. Um, it was about, yeah, it was about some work we did down at a feedlot and we had to drench and ear tag a heap of sheep and yeah it was a, it was a massive day it was too big of a day we had two little workers the workers that we did have didn't have much experience and it was a really hard slog and yeah one of them had said oh thank god for mills and this particular male said but she's just a woman and I sat there mm -hmm. dumbfounded and Cody said no you don't say that you don't say that to her uh, we would have been stuffed without her that day so that was really lovely of him to do that for me but that's literally been the only poor experience I've had and I think it speaks for itself that 
you know, another bloke had my back in that situation. Like I have, I have no qualms about advocating for any young woman to enter this industry. And I have very capable mates of mine that are agronomists, they're trainee stock agents, they're livestock managers, and they're, you know, my age younger and they're flourishing, absolutely flourishing. Like I don't see from my experiences, like I'm sure there has been very poor experiences, but I think that happens in every industry. And when you attend a big events in the ag industry, there is a lot of females there. Yeah, I don't think the conversation any longer is are women a part of agriculture? Like bloody oath we are. Like we're here and, you know, we're working hard too. So that's been my experience. Absolutely advocate for it as a career choice. I'm, yeah, you know, disappointed that it wasn't advocated for in, in my time growing up. I think there's certainly opportunities in agriculture for young young men and young women. No, I think that's really pleasing. I think the livestock industry is very lucky to have someone like you in this space just to bring that enthusiasm and that energy. Now, you've accomplished a lot in a short space of time, as I'm sure listeners have, have gathered from today. I'm interested to know what's next on the goals list for you. Look, so I'm, I'm less than 12 months into the Livestock Collective and I, I really want to grow that. I'm really passionate about it and it's awesome to, you know, be at an event, you know, it's the few days or something like that and have a producer come up to me and say thank you for the work that you're doing as the livestock collective and that's something that I thoroughly enjoy and I know that I'm on the money there so in that sense I really want to grow that and you know have more people all along the supply chain agriculture in Australia you know trained to be sharing these stories and just for me to connect with them as well it's it's brilliant. Personally I'm uh, if you haven't already tell, I'm a bit of a high achiever, but I also trust my gut and I know a good thing when I'm onto it. So um, yeah, right now, nothing makes me happier than just doing what I what I do. And I'm yeah, pretty stoked to be doing that. Millie, it's been absolutely amazing talking to you today and learning about all things livestock and learning about your journey. And we can't wait to see what you get up to next. But Before we let you go and let you get on with the day, there is one final question we ask all our guests, and that is, what work boots do you wear when out on the farm? Oh, Rossies. (laughs) That's the first boat for Rossies. That's good. That is. Is That's awesome. It is, surprisingly. Wow. Yeah, no, I I love my Rossies. I even, um, when I, you know, rouseabouting or anything, I always wore them and people always thought I was silly, but I don't know, I, I thought they were great. Do you think it's that our part of the world? Because yeah. I grew up with Rossies, yeah, and nobody seems to know about them. I actually think it might be that. Yeah, up in Queensland, I think I got a few looks and, and things with whatever <laughs> outfit that I came down, but I'm 100% sure that if I wore what people wore up in Queensland down in Ooh, Apsley, I would get many sideways glances. <laughs> so, yeah, and today, I suit, suit yourselves, guys. Wear whatever boots you want. Like. I'm, I'm a Rossies girl. Oh, love it. That's fantastic. Thank you again, Millie. We've really enjoyed chatting to you. Yeah, thank you guys so much for this opportunity. It's been brilliant. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Rural Bank. Rural Bank supports the agribusiness community by providing financial services, knowledge and leadership for Australian farmers to grow. If you'd like more information about the topics we've discussed today, as well as links and other resources, We've added those to the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Annie Herbert. 
and I'm Matt Hour, and we'll chat to you next time.